content warning for this episode we talk about a lot of sensitive topics including eating disorders self-harm suicide depression anxiety and many other mental illnesses and welcome back to our podcast coming of age yes and today our podcast episode is very very cool and special and i said very about too many times Mm -hmm. but we have a really special episode i think everyone's gonna enjoy it yes and i think it's gonna benefit a lot of you guys um Mm -hmm. so around this time last year we got into like lockdown and quarantine and we were Mm -hmm. excited to have our one week off of school yeah (laughs) you know one week turned into one whole year yeah Mm. and i guess like it kind of marks like the one year anniversary of yeah it it does because yeah absolutely i remember this time of year um everything was just so different everything was so like light-hearted just more fun than it is now i guess i I don't think it's more fun i think we're just a lot more naive i Um, don't even know if it's that we were naive i think it was just we didn't have so much to worry about i think that too um, mm-hmm. But I think that also adds on to, like, the whole be naive thing. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't experience all of this. We didn't know, like... I think even over the year, like, over... Like, not just COVID. Like, plenty of things have happened over the past year, to say <laughs> the least. Um, mm-hmm. I've changed how we look on things and how our, like, how we act and mm-hmm. how we present ourselves. I and, think so far in my life, COVID has definitely had one of the biggest impacts. Oh, for no, sure. 100%. Like, living through a pandemic, um, not the easiest like to say if, the least yeah if i look at the snaps of like this time last year mm-hmm. and me now is like a whole different person mm-hmm. like i feel like even you even if you listen to the podcast probably you can you hear, can like, see us grow well, you can't see us grow, well like but, listen to us grow yeah like i i don't know if we've grown in the right way but i think grown. we have um mm-hmm. um i used to be a lot more annoying yeah we actually didn't take the podcast seriously like at all yeah, no. Then it was just, like, for fun, for it fun, just for, for fun. fun. But um, taking it seriously now. And um, this is a serious episode. It is. So, COVID has impacted a lot of um, teens, like, mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. So, mm-hmm. we interviewed many doctors and therapists on their opinions and their thoughts on this. So, you guys could hear. Um, you could... We also put up a poll on our stories... Um, and we asked you what you guys would like to ask a therapist or ask a psychologist. And um, we asked those questions that you asked us <laughs> to the therapist, and we got answers. And I think this episode just gives a lot more insight onto how teens have struggled with mental health, specifically due to COVID. Yeah. And I think on top of that, we also do ask them how you could really like cope with it. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, Like, therapy isn't accessible for everyone. If you can do it, do it, you know? That's great. Um, But it definitely isn't accessible to everyone. So we asked therapists and psychologists their other opinions. So, yes. So we hope you guys enjoy. Yes. And here are the interviews. So today we have two mental health specialists for us. If you guys could introduce yourselves, that would be amazing. I'm Suzanne Go. I'm a pediatric neurologist and um, co-founder and chief medical officer at Cortica, where we uh, provide healthcare services 
for individuals with neurodevelopmental disabilities. So uh, my name is Vanessa Sanford, and I am a therapist here in Frisco. Um, I have a little old grandma house right on Main Street um, that I turned into my dream come true place to provide therapy and services for families and kids and teens. Um, and I love what I do. And I'm also a parent. So I've had um, one kid already finished all the way through uh, Frisco ISD and is already done with college. And so I have another kid that's a fifth grader right now. So I'm able to provide just a parent perspective and a professional perspective on mental health, um, but just just a big believer in integration. That's my favorite word. How do we take what we're doing and practice it versus just having a cool conversation? So that's my big um, focus in, in my work. So our first question for you guys today is, are mental health issues more common in teens today? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's really interesting to think about mental health um, and how something like the pandemic um, changes that, you know, all of the different effects that some such a big stressor like the pandemic can have. Um, and then you think about children of different ages, because it really affects, it, it affects people so differently based on age, based on socioeconomic status, you know, so many other kind of individual unique features. But I think what we do know is that um, because the mental health of children um, and really of all people, but especially of children relies so much on like their social interactions, on the school environment, on their access to recreation and sports and you know, all these things that have been reduced during the pandemic that the mental health toll has been especially high, you know, for children and adolescents. Mm -hmm. So you think it has caused because of like the reducement of like seeing people or is it like because of activities or what do you think uh, or? Yeah, you like which, what has been kind of the, the biggest mm -hmm. stressor? Um, well, a few. First, I'll say, um, I actually think that the mental health of the parents is probably the biggest, has the biggest effect on the children's mental health. Um, so I actually think that that outweighs all the others, including, you know, not being able to go to school, um, including not being able to see friends in person or family members, other family members in person. So, uh, yeah. sorry, Continue. Oh, please, please. Oh, I'll just, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, I'll just say, I do think, um, parents' mental health is probably the biggest factor that affects children's mental health. Why is that so? Like, is it because they're like always around them or it's like, that's... Yeah. Yeah, I, okay. I think so. It's because the parents have such a strong influence on the child. They're around them so much. They, um, they're responsible for so much about like, what the home environment is like. And there's a term that's sometimes used um, in my field, which is co-regulation. And it refers to the way that one person's state of regulation and, you know, kind of um, emotional health and well-being directly influences others. And we co-regulate even without knowing it. So, um, so that's another big reason. As it's been one year since COVID started and COVID has put a heavy strain on so many people from like losing loved ones to 
working online, losing jobs, um, going to school online, and not seeing friends or family for a very long time. Um, How has this affected the mental stability and mindset of teenagers? I think so. I mean, I think we we don't quite know the full extent of it yet because Mm -hmm. it is still fairly new and not a lot of research has been done. But just from the initial observations, it seems to have had a really big impact on mental health. And some people even now refer to mental health as kind of the second pandemic, you know, that has come from the COVID pandemic. Well, I think it's it's impacted greatly. I think that, you know, just kind of talking quickly about the development of teenagers, um, which is honestly one of my favorite um, ages to work with. I love working with teenagers. Um, because your development, I'm going to nerd out on the brain real quick, but developmentally, it's this really amazing process in your brain where you're starting to challenge beliefs that you've been taught to believe and question things and experiment and explore and start to develop your own identity more than you did when you're a kid. When you're a kid, you're told what to do, what to believe where to go, all of that, right? So you're just kind of being told everything and you're not in control as much. But in your teenage years, it's called this pruning process where if you think about something where you're pruning, you're plucking what no longer works for you and you're letting grow what does. And it's this beautiful process that, you know, adolescence is from age 12 to 24. So um, it's this really cool development in your brain. And um I love it because y'all are really great at pointing out hypocrisy um, where you're recognizing, yeah, you're saying this, but you're also not doing it. Um, And so that's a beautiful growth development that happens for teens and y'all are more impacted by your age group. So y'all are more um, connected to your age group than when you were little, when you were more impacted by the adults in your life. And so why that's so important to bring up is because with the lack of connection right now, um, of in-person connection, that's a big struggle for y'all's brain development to be able to access the wiring of these connections that you don't have access to right now. And so it's really creating a lot of loneliness and a lot of um, focus issues and even sleep issues, skin issues, muscle issues, digestion issues. Um, because all these things that chemically happen when you're connected and you're exploring and experimenting um, are getting kind of blocked right now. And it's a big deal. It's a really big deal for you guys. So my heart goes out to y'all. Thank you. you. Um, I wanted to ask you really quickly. Are there like, you said there are so many problems that come up, right? So are any of them like long-term that can be seen like after the pandemic, you Mm -hmm. know? You know, I don't, I don't know yet because this pandemic is still going on, but I will tell you, um, I'm really concerned for the, the collective mental health, um, for teenagers, for kids younger than you guys that like, I'm even thinking, um, like elementary school kids, right. Where that connection is so big and they're doing a lot of this virtually and they're missing out on a lot of those connections. That's, that's just going to impact things that we just don't know yet. So I'm, I'm concerned and just quickly to think about it from a, a very like nuanced example, something that's really common when people are in graduate school and they're trying to wrap up their degree, um, especially PhD students, a lot of times they're like fantasizing about the beach that they're going to go on or whatever mountains they're going to go to when they're graduating. 
But when they're finished with their degree, typically their immune system collapses and they get sick um, because they've been in this chronic state of stress to try to finish their degree. Um, and that can be really common when we're in this chronic state of stress in this pandemic. We don't even know that we're in chronic stress all the time, but you know it when something new happens that's stressful and you're like, I can't, I cannot add one more of these stressful things in my life. You're in such fatigue. And when we're in this chronic state of stress, it can impact our immune system when we get out of it. So like when we're thinking about whatever time it's going to be, when we're um, able to get back to less social distancing and mask wearing um, without the risk, I'm concerned. Um, and I, I'm concerned about the collapse from the chronic stress. And um, I don't know what that looks like yet, but we're seeing a high level of um, an epidemic of mental health issues right now. Suicidal thoughts, self-harm, eating disorders, um, an increase in depression, anxiety. It's a big deal, y'all. So I'm, I'm concerned about long-term stuff. Yeah, I think that's absolutely like something to be concerned about because I actually didn't even know about that until you actually brought it up. I was so shocked by it. Um, and I think recently we also learned like um, we interviewed some other people and they were like, yeah, like um, people are saying like the second wave of like COVID, the second pandemic will be like mental health. Yes, it is. It's a big concern. And, um, you know, the other thing that's really important to understand when we're talking about COVID is all the individual pandemics that go on with COVID. COVID, the impact of COVID is COVID is such a spectrum like some people are inconvenienced, right? Where you're maybe not able to access your friends as frequently or you have to wear a mask. Some people have lost loved ones. Some people have lost jobs. Some families are unsafe to be at home with, um, right? And so there's high levels of addiction going on because there's such chronic. So there's a, there's a lot going on in individual pandemics, collective pandemics inside COVID. And so when we think about all of that, it's really tough. And there's a big struggle of mental health going on right now. So, and when we're in chronic stress, like our window of tolerance for stuff is teeny. Our next question is, has burnt out depression and anxiety increased since the pandemic? Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Depression and anxiety and burnout, I think the three are so closely interconnected um, and even, you know, depression and anxiety even have like similar neurobiological and biochemical, you know, um, factors underlying them. So I think many people who experience one experience the other. Um, in my opinion, that's number one. Um, and then I think burnout kind of is is just a like a lay term, you know, for for capturing um, mm -hmm. what might formally be called depression and anxiety. It has. And um, there's two things that I want to share about that. And I don't know if y'all are like into books or anything, but um, I'm a big old love books, y'all. Like I talk about books forever, but I have this book right here. I don't know if you can see it. It's called Burnout. I'll email it to you later um, as a resource. But why I think this is so important is it's the, these twin sisters and they're talking about all this research about stress. And they talk about stress as like a beginning, middle and end. And so it's our responsibility to finish a stress cycle. I didn't know that. I thought we got stress. Okay, we do things to help us feel better, but I didn't know I was responsible to make sure it's over. 
And the way that they describe a stress cycle being over is kind of like when you feel satisfied in a meal, you just, you know, you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the way that they help us recognize that our stress cycle is done. But a lot of us have all these open tabs of stressors that we have not closed. And when all those are open and we don't know how to close them, we don't even know we're supposed to close them. Um, and we're inundated with more stress constantly, then that does lead to burnout. It leads to resentment and exhaustion and sleep issues and gut issues and skin issues and all kinds of stuff, right? That can increase struggles of depression. And then you also have to think about like genetics, right? So if we're chronically stressed with all these open tabs, we don't know that we're supposed to close them. And then we get activated in our own genetics, then that can really impact our mental health. Um, so burnout's real. Um, and we, as a culture do not value rest and recovery. We think, what are you doing? Wasting your time resting. We need to be productive. We're achievers here. And I'll never forget. I was mentoring a, um, Frisco, um, high school student at ISM and we were working on anxiety. And she said, let me just ask you something. Is the point of being an adult, no, she said, is the point of being in all um, AP classes, trying to be in the top 10% of my class, um, being in all these extracurricular activities, volunteering, making sure I'm in National Honor Society, um, missing out time with my friends, constantly staying up late to do extra homework um, and studying and prepping for the SAT and the ACT is all of that is the point of all that to be a tired adult? Because all this achievement is for what? Is because I watch a lot of adults in my life that have done those things and are telling me to do those things. They're exhausted. They're not connected to their own recovery, their health, and they're just so tired on the weekends, they don't even have time for us. So is that the point? And I was like, dang. We really need to work on revising that, right? So for us to not be burnt out, for us to close those tabs of stress cycles, we also have to value rest and recovery. Because I don't know about you guys, but if I've slept, I've had a good meal and I've done some yoga, I'm a great person to be around. Yeah. I'm engaged. I'm willing to be kind and compassionate. If I haven't had those things, you do not want to be around me. (laughs) Right? And so part of this is how do we build up our own fitness to navigate things that are hard so that we're not constantly with open tabs, burnout and resentful and exhausted all the time. Right. So it's just thinking about our own um, responsibility and our own mental health and understanding that. So in a lot of families, there's a really big stigma around mental health. Either they just don't believe in it or they don't think it's a big issue. Uh, So in teens with those families, how can they cope with these problems that they're having um, that are affordable and accessible to them? I mean, the nice thing is that because we know so much about depression and anxiety and we've um, a lot of great research has been done, uh, including what's effective for treatment. um, There's so many tools that we have that can help a lot. So, Two big ones are um, what we eat and what we do. So like um, activities and and movement and and exercise. So we know nutrition has a big factor on on depression and anxiety and um, exercise. So those are two big ones. In general, kind of being able to keep a structure and a routine can really help. And then social interactions. So even if they can't be 
you know, indoors unmasked, they can certainly be outdoors or, you know, distanced. And so making those efforts uh, is really important. Um, the other really well-established treatment for depression and anxiety is um, like mindfulness-based practices. So um, there are some techniques that they do take some training and some practice, but if, if one can develop a skill of sort of being able to separate yourself a little bit from the depression or the anxiety to be able to observe it and not to feel that it's all consuming or that it defines who you are, then it can begin to lose a bit of its power. Um, and there's there are some practices based in meditation that allow you to sort of let go of those emotions bit by bit. Um, and they're very powerful too. So I'll just share this. So um, I'm Mexican and my family's from um, Mexico. That's not a shocker. I said those two together. I'm first generation here. My parents were immigrants and they immigrated here in the late sixties. And so growing up, mental health was not something that we talked about. It was, if you have a problem, you go to the priest or you talk at home. There was no like therapist option growing up and feelings were, you, you say happy feelings, but not if you're sad or anything, those are things you pray about. That's it. You know, like there, that was, it was, there was, there was so much stigma around mental health. And I remember even one of my cousins that is a doctor and she's a doctor in Mexico. I remember her saying to me, why are you studying to be a therapist? Like, why don't you just become a doctor? Like you're wasting time, mental health. Like, what are you doing? So there's so much stigma in asking for help and that can impact our health and mental health intersects with physical health, relationship health, financial health, everything. So thinking about what's accessible, what's um, free, um, things that you don't have to do with a professional, there's so many options, but the number one um, effective tool for mental health is moving your body, stretching, exercising. But I'm not talking about like, you don't have to do like, you don't have to get like hard abs and like be buff to be mentally health. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> if that works for you. Cool. But one of the things that's really great is stretching, going for a walk, fishing, um, running, um, ice skating. I mean, whatever, like just moving your body is so impactful because feelings live in your body. Feelings do not live in your head. We think in our head and we feel in our body. And so just understanding that stress is in our body. And so we have to move our body to move through some of that stuff. And that is the most effective. There are many other ones like, and I'll be really quick, but something I learned from a professor at UT um, and he he's done a lot of research. Um, his name is James Pennebaker. And his research is if you're in like a, if you've had a trauma or you're in something really stressful, he has this um, kind of formula to follow because it's different from journaling Journaling is, you know, on a frequent basis, you kind of write what you're feeling. But what he suggests is for three or four days, for about 15 minutes each day, you just dump. You just write out whatever you're feeling, but it's not edited, right? It's not like somebody's going to read it. So you can write from your five-year-old self. You can use cuss words. You can be however you want to be in that because nobody's going to read it. You're just dumping it. And that's different for us. Even when we write, a lot of us edit, we want to make sure that it has a great adjective and metaphor and it flows, right? Even if we're journaling and he's saying, don't do that. Make this the longest run on sentence ever. Who cares? Because once you write it, you delete it. It's not to save. 
because that will put us at risk to edit and worry somebody's going to find it. And so you just write it out and then you delete it and you do that for three days, but you're specific. You write about what is hurting you, what is bothering you, what your heartbreak is about. And you do that for about 15 minutes, three to four days in a row, and then you stop. And what he found is high increases in immune system, function, focus, advocacy, empowerment, joy, all of that, just by giving yourself permission to be transparently honest about what you're experiencing and then deleting it. So there's no risk of seeing it or somebody else seeing it. And that is a great mental health tool. Um, So moving, writing, there's the other thing that I'll say is making sure about your self-talk. Self-talk is really, really important for being mentally healthy So if you're struggling and your self-talk is about shame and comparison and lack of worthiness and not being good enough, then that's going to impact your mental health. But if your self-talk is everybody goes through hard stuff, I've been through hard stuff before, I'm able to ask for help, I trust myself, I'm capable, that builds resilience to get through it. So the way that you talk to yourself is really important. And one of the quick hacks about that is talk to yourself like you would your friend. What would you say to your friend and start saying it to yourself? And some people even go further and write to themselves. Like if they were their friend, I'm really struggling. I love you. I'm here for you. Thank you for telling me, you know, that kind of stuff may sound a little cheesy, but it's very powerful for our mental health to be able to practice self-love. So those are accessible ways. There's lots of other ones, but, um, The other thing that I'll say is, I don't know if y'all have heard of, we are not really strangers, but it's this, I love their company. I subscribe to them. And one of the cool things they'll do is if you um, put in your cell phone, they'll text you these real, they're not cheesy, they're challenging and thought provoking uh, messages. And they've got all kinds of stuff. Y'all are nodding your heads. You know what I'm talking about, but I I find that really powerful The other thing that I'll say is when we're feeling despair or hopelessness or we're struggling and we don't feel like we can talk to the adults in our family, I think it's helpful to look at how other people have gotten through stuff, whether it's in the history of your own family, it's looking at people you respect and how, what hardships they've gotten through that can give you hope that you can get through that too. So perspective taking diverse perspectives. Um, I love reading up on people that are resilient and are, you know, trailblazers and have fought through civil rights or, you know, whatever, Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, um, looking at how they are getting through hard stuff and, and to the ability to keep going can be inspiring for our mental health. What do y'all think about that? Does that help? Yeah. Or- Absolutely. That's actually one of the reasons why I actually subscribe to the, yeah. we're not really strangers. I'm like, I need these daily reminders. I need these to come up. And whenever they do, they are really thought provoking. Like I take like time out of my day and I'm like, okay, wait, let me think about the message that they just sent. Yeah. Is this something that I should work? Like whatever the question is. I remember one of them was um, who like, if it doesn't matter in like five sec in like in five years, why are you spending so much time thinking about it now? And that really just got me thinking like, wow, like why am I putting so much stress? Why am I stressing over school so much? Why am I stressing over certain people so much when I can be doing things to improve myself? Yes. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Love that. I mean, Go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, um, and on top of that, I think all the things you said are like really easy to implement in your life. Wow. And I think I'll probably be trying some of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Same here. One of the things I'll just say really quickly, that's a free one. And you can do this anywhere, anytime. It's, it's called belly breathing. So a lot of us, and I'll just be really quick, but if you put your hand, one hand over your heart, one hand over your belly button, <laughs> when you inhale, right? If you're inhaling and the hand over your heart is rising, and falling, that means you're chest breathing. That means you're sending a message to your brain. You're in chronic stress, right? Or you're in stress. If you're chest breathing all the time, then you're in chronic stress. And then your shoulders and your neck get achy. You're not getting enough oxygen. And it's pumping out this stress hormone called cortisol, which makes us want to eat real sugary food. <laughs> so it's a big deal. So if we're able to breathe from where our hand is over our belly button and our chest um, is still, then that's belly breathing, that we're getting more oxygen. It sends a message to our brain that we're in rest and digest. And when we're in that place, we can handle things a lot differently than, we're in, than if we were in chronic stress. So just getting, just checking in and going, am I belly breathing or am I chest breathing? Just checking and trying to drop down into belly breathing can immediately help you look at something that's stressful differently um, and feel more capable and more empowered. And if you don't know how to belly breathe, you can just lay on your back and place a pillow right over your belly and then watch the pillow rise and fall. But that's, you could do that anytime. Right. And so that's a quick free way to get regulated and, and feel capable uh, when we're dealing with all this stuff. Yeah. I was just doing it and I was like, oh, <laughs> were you chest breathing or belly breathing? I was chest breathing. <laughs> because of the pandemic, of course, many people have faced changes in their lives. So how can the pandemic cause or leave trauma on people? On social media and TikTok, trauma has been portrayed in a lot of different ways. So it's really hard to pinpoint what exactly is trauma. So we wanted to ask you, what would really count as trauma and what exactly is it? Yeah, I mean, the trauma is such a big term and it can encompass so many things. And it's also very personal. You know, what, what constitutes or is experienced as traumatic by one person wouldn't be by another. So it just, it has a lot to do with both how we perceive an event or experience, and then also how that perception like then is translated into a, like a physiological experience. Because some people may suddenly, you know, shift into a stress response um, when they perceive something and other people don't. So it's very personal, very unique. Um, but I think for me, one of the most important things we know about trauma is that it has tr truly, um, like lasting biological effects. So it's not something that should be considered just mental by any means. Um, it, it really changes, you know, the body's physiology, different hormones, you know, get triggered. And um, so it's important to, to address that part of it too. Yeah, I love that question so much. So um, trauma is our, it's a response. It's a response of something that we have experienced um, that feels dangerous to us. And so what gets really stigmatized around trauma is um, that trauma sometimes is labeled as a mental illness, which is not true. Um, trauma is not a mental illness. Trauma is our body's way to protect ourselves in danger. 
So there's a lot of different ways that we respond in trauma. We can shut down, we can fight back, we can run away, we can people please, we can do all kinds of different things. But trauma is just a natural reaction to feeling like you're in danger. And here's the thing about trauma is there's a lot of talk about it. You're right. Um, But there's big trauma. It's called big T. And then there's little trauma, which is little T. So a big trauma can be like a natural disaster, um, a divorce, um, a loss of a loved one, an injury, a car wreck, um, an assault. Um, All of that can be a big T. A little T can be kind of like what are called paper cuts where they are little, but if you're covered in paper cuts, that is traumatic to be constantly chronically traumatized. So, um, and here's the thing about trauma. I can't, all three of us may have the same experience and I might walk away traumatized. You might walk away feeling overwhelmed and you might walk away thinking it was no big deal because we're, we have to pay attention to our own history of stress, our own history and dynamics in our family, our own genetics that all play a role when we're in an experience of what feels dangerous to us. So um, that is really important to understand that it's diverse, but there's so much shame around trauma. Or some people think, well, my trauma wasn't being, you know, um, a soldier at war. So mine shouldn't be that big of a deal. I need to get over it, right? There's like all this comparison around trauma. Like you have to meet some standard for people to care about what you've gone through. And there's like this rank order that's unhelpful. And what I find is really important is that anybody that's gone through something, um, there's enough care, compassion, and kindness to go around. And the more we practice it, the more we have. But trauma is big and it can really um, start to um, grow belief systems. So if I've had a trauma, a belief system is going to be wrapped in that. So if I'm going to say, if I drive at this time and I got into a car wreck, then it, then what it starts to wire together. And then I start thinking anytime I drive down that area, it start, I'm starting to feel unsafe again. So we start to develop belief systems of I'm not safe. I can't trust others. Nobody understands me. There's all these like really isolating belief systems. And so it's really important to understand that. And this pandemic has a lot of trauma in it, you guys. And trauma lasts a long time, especially if we're in families where people don't believe in mental health or we can't talk to them. What feeds Trauma in a negative way is silence and secrets and judgment and stigma. So what helps people recover from trauma is the ability to say their truth, to be heard and listened to, supported, loved, cared for. That all helps trauma not um, drive, right? It's still there, but it doesn't dictate somebody's life in such a profound um, negative way. So part of that is our own responsibility of being good advocates for each other and ourselves, that um, trauma is something that many of us will go through. Um, And it's important to recognize that um, it's something that deserves to be heard and worked through versus silenced. So that's a really important part of that. Yeah, I think when you put it that way, like, 
I think like the rank order, like really used to like affect me. Even like, even if it wasn't really particularly trauma, I was like, well, my problem is like, my problem isn't big enough. So like, it, it's or not like the whole mindset of things could be worse right now, but they aren't. But notice that that challenge in that this is really come for all of us. Like that's what you're thinking, right? But what is your body feeling? Does your body feel like it's not a big deal? Because our trauma lives in our bodies, like our cells literally. And think about this. If you've ever been in a car wreck before, or you've almost been in a car wreck and you were driving and somebody swerves over and you had to get over really quickly, um, or you're in a car and somebody's driving you. Anytime somebody else gets near that, your body reacts before you think it. And so trauma lives in our cells, which is why that's so important to include body in any recovery. If we're just thinking all the time and we're not including our body in this mental health work, we're missing out. Our bodies are our truth tellers. And think about that. If you've ever like you're kind of stuck between, well, that makes sense. But then your body's so activated, right? Like, yeah, they said that they didn't mean it, but now you're like, your stomach's tight and your chest is tight. There's something to get curious about that you're calling BS on, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it logically makes sense, feelings are in the body. And if your body doesn't buy it, there's something more to get curious about. We asked a bunch of our listeners on Instagram um, what exactly they wanted to know from therapists and psychologists. And um, the first question that they asked us is, how do you know when you need therapy? Well, um, maybe I'll, there's a couple ways to answer that. So one um, would be more of kind of like the, maybe the medical way of answering that. So it'd be certain symptoms like, um, you know, if you are feeling um, that you don't want to live, if you're feeling um, less interested in things that you used to enjoy, um, if your sleep is consistently disrupted, if your energy level is much lower than it used to be. So those are some of the maybe more, the kind of um, clinical symptoms or signs that that physicians um, learn to recognize. Um, But I feel like therapy can be so helpful for even a more broad set of symptoms. And the way I think about it is that if you're starting to feel that your sort of authentic place or your authentic feeling is one of more of sadness than joy or one of more worry than calm, even if it's sort of that subtle shift or imbalance, even that I think is worth, um, you know, looking into options for therapy. Yeah, such a good question. I think it's hard and, you know, you'll probably hear this a bunch, like it depends, right? But the way that I think about therapy is different than when I thought about it when I was a kid, um, because there was a lot of stigma around therapy. So my role is not to tell you what to do. My role is not to have the answers. I'm different than if you broke your arm and you went to a doctor. So when you go to the doctor, right. And you have a broken arm, you're like, here's the problem. They go, there's the problem. This is how you fix it. You follow this protocol and then you're all done. Right. Therapy is super different where therapy is more about, can I be honest with myself in front of this person? Can I actually have the courage to work through stuff, um, learn stuff, Uh, explore stuff that I've typically silenced or stigmatized, right? 
So it's about trust and relationship. Um, and so with therapy, you have to make sure that you trust that person, but to know you're ready for therapy um, may mean that you're not able to navigate kind of the things we talked about that are accessible and free, that you're, you're, those still are not enough that you're recognizing a struggle of function, right? Where you're needing extra help. Kind of like if you feel sick um, and you're like, okay, well, I probably just need a rest and I probably just need to like, you know, maybe drink some Gatorade and, and not go to school versus I'm feeling sick and maybe a fever. You just know you need extra help. Um, and so recognizing that my job is to partner with you, not to know it all. Um, and so I think about it like you need extra help to function. Um, you need extra help to learn something that you can't do through Google, right? Um, although I'm not a big fan of Googling mental health stuff, um, cause that leads to all kinds of stuff. And, you know, if y'all have watched social dilemma at this point, you know, everything that we're clicking on is monitored, you know, monitored and there's algorithms developed based on our clicking. And so that could lead to risky stuff that I don't think is the same as somebody who's done the work to go through school and get licensed to help navigate some of the mental health stuff. Um, but I just think about, and I'll say this, this is something I really find, uh, see really in common is with teenagers, there's a lack of trust in adults. And so there's more trust with each other. And so you guys are being a lot more vulnerable with each other and sharing your own mental health issues with each other. But then there's this pressure of the difference between being a friend and a therapist, because a friend can say, I love you and I'm here for you. A therapist can help navigate really risky stuff that friends can't like suicide um, if, or self-harm or being assaulted or um, having some unsafe struggle that you don't feel safe enough to talk to your parents about. So you want to talk to your friends about, but that's also putting them in a bind because they're not qualified to navigate that stuff. And that can create its own challenge. And so just recognizing it's something that you don't want to put on a friend that would need a trusted licensed person to help navigate. So that's a long answer, but just, I really wanted to name that because um, a lot of um, people your age really don't want to talk to adults. And so there's this pressure that I work with a lot of clients who feel pressure to be the therapist for their friends. And that's hard. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're laughing because we are relating. Very, <laughs> that's very relatable. And I think especially with like our generation and like we're so like, and like we're on social media a lot so what occurs is like we tell maybe like our social media a lot of our problems and then yeah. that results in telling our friends a lot of the problems and then like the but friend can't see it on the social media and they can just like okay that's really yeah, cool like, they feel yeah. like obligated to reach out to us about it but there might not be anything that they can do specifically for it and you know there's there's something about sharing your story on social media that feels vulnerable that you couldn't maybe feel comfortable saying in person, but there's also this risk in that vulnerability that there won't be a response or there'll be a emoji, like a thumbs up emoji or like a, 
you know, like, and then you're like, but I just shared my story with you and I'm getting nothing, you know, like, so there's that mm-hmm. risk of rejection. Mm-hmm. And then that can wrap in all kinds of stories we make up about our worthiness, right? Versus really paying attention to who has earned the right to hear my story. That I think is so essential versus just posting something in hope somebody will respond for an affirmation that I need versus being authentic and vulnerable and saying, hey, person who's earned the right to hear my story, I'm struggling. And even though you've chosen somebody doesn't mean they're going to be awesome at responding because we're not great at responding all the time, right? I'm not great at responding all the time because we're human. Um, And like I said before, if I haven't eaten or slept or done yoga, I don't respond well to stress in other people. So part of that is just the awareness. And I think that's really important is who's really earned the right to hear what I have to say. And our last question for you guys is how can you overcome mental illness without contacting professionals or telling your parents? Well, um, this is one of the things that has changed a lot recently is that there's so many resources available online and they're great. You know, so if, if it's not something that you think um, you can get professional help for or even talk to your parents about, although I hope that's not the case. I mean, I, I hope, I do think it's very important to, to involve family members and parents, but um, there are wonderful, you know, um, apps um, like uh, Headspace and, um, you know, and others that can teach the skills um, that can really really impact and improve mental well-being. Um, great resources online and there are some amazing books too that um, there's one in particular called The Little Book of Being that I really love and it has all sorts of what they call, um, the author calls glimpse practices. So like a little paragraph that you can read and it gives you an exercise that you can do and practice on your own. So um, there's a lot of self-learning and self um almost self-therapy that's available nowadays. Yes, and we loved having you. You're so welcome. It was an honor. Thank you guys for this conversation. Mental health is a really serious issue. Whether you're a teen or not, I really hope you found this episode helpful and informative. If you ever have anything to talk about, our DMs are always open on Instagram. If you're ever thinking about suicide or self-harm, please be sure to reach out to a professional or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.